The Apostle Paul founded the Corinthian Church in the early 50s, only 27 years after Jesus rose again from the dead. A church that became filled with discord, carnality, and false doctrine. But the Spirit of God used all of this mess to inspire Paul to write two letters that expose the heart of a true servant of the gospel. Let's look with Dave Wurtzen, our study leader, at Paul's letter to the Corinthians and discover why he said, The greatest of these is love. How many of you all have ever been to Disney World? All of you that have been to Disney World, raise your hand, okay? Oh, goodness. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland out in L.A.? All right. Why do you go? I want to ask you, as you go to Disney World, how many of you found out that your family got along better in Disney World? How many of you found that during the time you were at Disney World, you didn't have nearly as many fights? Anybody find that to be true? Mayor and I have found that when we're on vacation, we get along. And it's amazing, even our kids, as we're on vacation. Uh, in fact, many years ago when Jonathan was going in, uh, going, getting ready to go to UT, we actually took off, and as a family, for five weeks, we lived in a pop-up trailer. We went from one vacation spot to the next. One of them was Disneyland out in L.A., and uh, we camped out about a half a mile from there, and we walked over to the park. And I don't remember one fight among our four kids. The reason is Disney World is about families getting away, escaping. Have you also noticed, uh, how many of you parents have been thankful that if Disney, and it's not so much true now because they've been changed a little bit, but, but they still, I think, are even coming back to this. How many of you, if, if you see Disney on it, you know that it's going to be family entertainment, right? Pretty much. Now, you know, they throw in a little bit of rebellion against father and stuff like that, but when I was a kid, when Davy Crockett came on, that'll date me, with Fess Parker, that was one of the first Davy Crockett's, my parents could relax because it was going to be pure entertainment, family entertainment. Walt had that as a vision, to create a place where families could escape, they would not have a lot of conflict, and it would be pure. It would be a morally pure, healthy, you know, environment, a family environment, okay? The other thing, how many of you have felt like your kids, when they're looking forward to going to Disneyland, maybe some of the kids are here today, how many of you found that some of the greatest uh, excitement was looking forward to going to Disney World? And then when you get on an airplane, in fact, Mary and I have been down in Brazil, and we've been flying home, and I don't know if you realize it, but if you're a Brazilian, heaven is to go to Disney World in Florida. And you'll have 150 Brazilian kids on the airplane, and you talk about life. I mean, life is exploding in those kids. Well, Walt Disney had that as a goal, too. He wanted to be a place where families escape. They get along. They have real fellowship together, good family life. It's a pure environment, and he wants you to feel alive. He wants you to find life. Now, a lot of you think that when you come to church, you're going to have that same thing. A lot of you feel that when you come to church, people are going to get along. What I want to tell you is that if you want an escape and you want to deny the way real life under the sun is, then go to Disney World. 
And if you have enough money, you can just live your life there. But you're going to find out eventually that if you live there week in and week out, you would start disagreeing in your family. One of the things I want to get across to you that as you start to get involved with real people in your marriages, with your children, in your youth groups, in your church, in your Sunday school class, what I want you to understand is that if you come to church, if you come to a gathering, I'm not talking about a building, but I'm talking about you entering in a relationship with brothers and sisters, then what I want you to understand is that there's going to be tremendous fighting that takes place. Second of all, I want you to understand that you're going to have to wrestle with immorality. You're going to find out that you have brothers and sisters that are wrestling with real sin. And I most of all want you to understand that church is the only place, and I'm once again talking about not just a building, but I'm talking about relationships with one another that are rooted in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's only by following Jesus, not by going to Disneyland, that you're going to find resurrection power. In other words, Jesus is the only person that can make you really be alive. We're going to study today, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be studying the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians, trying to, trying to get up in the air and take an overview of the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. As you're turning to 1 Corinthians, I want you to realize that the Apostle Paul has just been in Athens. And in Athens, it was the university town. It was the Princeton, New Jersey of the ancient world, or the Cambridge, Massachusetts, the Harvard of the ancient world. Athens was the place where all the intellectuals were. The Apostle Paul came, and in what was the equivalent of the, of the Parks Mall of the city of Athens, which is called the Agora, the Apostle Paul carried on. It was like going to the mall, and in the ancient world, just like today, all the kids gathered there, a lot of the adults gathered there, and the old people went walking. And the Apostle Paul started teaching in the Agora. He also talked in the synagogues, and the word started to spread that there's a nut that is talking about two new gods. One of them is called Resurrection. And they invited Paul to come and give a lecture in the big hall of the university, only they had it in Mars Hill, up on this little mountain, and all the intellectuals gathered around. Now I want you to know that the Apostle Paul, as he spoke that day in Acts chapter 17, gave one of the most powerful, skilled presentations that you could ever make to a secular audience, for example, a Harvard audience. I mean, he, he connected with his audience. I mean, he talked to them about the unknown God, that they didn't know his name, and he was going to talk to them about that God. He talked to them about the fact that in, they used some of their poets that, that talked about a spiritual being that brought life that was close to us. And then he ultimately ended the sermon by saying, and that ultimate God that you don't know, I'm going to tell you what his name is because he sent his son Jesus, and Jesus rose again from the dead. Now, when he said Jesus rose again from the dead, the majority of the audience busted out laughing, and they started catcalling him. I don't know if you've ever spoken to an audience that catcalls to you, but I have. Like, I've spoken back in the old days. You could go and speak in public schools, and I remember being in a public school, and I was speaking one day, and, and, and guys lined up across the back, and they just started mocking me while I was speaking. It really makes it fun. I've also had that happen on the streets in New York where they just start arguing with you back and forth. It's very real. It's not boring. Uh, one of the teenagers told me it was very boring when I speak on Sunday morning. Well, it's not boring when people stand right up and just say, hey, I disagree with you. I think it's so much a baloney, and they start laughing. It's also very discouraging if you're a preacher. 
Very discouraging. The Apostle Paul was crushed. Hardly anybody responded. I mean, and I want to share with you in my own life, like, I want to be like Ravi Zacharias. Ravi has this beautiful India tan because he's from India. He speaks in a beautiful Indian British accent. I mean, just one sentence, and you know, this guy is really smart. And he talks about finding God at Harvard University. And he talks about deliver us from evil. And I mean, just incredibly intellectual. He's, he's erudite. He's, he's the Apollos of the modern world. And I want to be like that. I want to share with you, I want to depend upon that. I want to depend upon the power of communication and, and the intellectual argument. But what I want to understand is that as American believers, a lot of you are into that. In fact, some of you are Chuck Swindoll followers. Some of you are Ravi Zacharias followers. Some of you are Billy Graham followers. In fact, in this audience, all of you have your favorite teachers. I even have some friends that say, man, I have to run home from church, not here in Midlothian Bible Church ever, but I need to run home from church so I can see the preacher that really can do it on TV. Now, the Apostle Paul would never make it in the modern world of American evangelicalism. You know why? Because he was a little bitty guy, probably. He was bald-headed. He couldn't see very well. And in fact, some people were even repulsed by his physical appearance. And yet, when he came to Corinth, he says, I was broken. What do you do? And I want to describe to you, as he came to the city of Corinth, I want you to know what that city was like. As Paul walked in the, in the city of Corinth, there's no churches there at all. Like when you walk, when you drive through Midlothian, you go right by First Baptist on the new overpass. If you go to downtown Midlothian, there is an old Baptist church there. There's the Overlook Overcomers Fellowship on the edge of church in our old church building. You come out this way, you run in our church. I mean, one thing you would gather about Midlothian, man, you drive into Midlothian, this place is pretty well church. When Paul came into Corinth, no churches at all. And... There's all these temples. There's one to Apollo. There's another one to up on the hill. There's a big 1,800-foot mountain. There's a temple to Aphrodite. And when Paul spent his first night in Corinth, I can imagine, as he's trying to find a place to stay, a thousand hookers come down off the mountain dressed to kill. I took my kid, my Jonathan and Joel, years ago to Recife, which is in northern Brazil. And the missionary that was there, we, we had to leave at 3 o'clock in the morning. And he told us that he needed to take us to downtown Recife near the World of Life uh, office. And he said, Dave, I'm really sorry that i got to take your boys there, but we got to go to the office. But they're probably going to have to have their eyes closed for about the next 45 minutes. Because where the World of Life office was, there were prostitutes, Brazilian prostitutes, all over the street. And that's what the Apostle Paul faced as he came to the city of Corinth. Now, how many of you think, man, this is great fertile soil? Man, this is where, you, if you're a preacher, you want to start a church, this is the place to do it. Corinth was the Los Angeles, it was the Houston, it was the New York, it was a big port city. And it was a city where you had sailors coming through constantly. You had goods flowing. It was very materialistic. In fact, the Greek word to party and to have an immoral party, like the Greek word that would be equivalent 
in our culture to go into bars and then go into strip clubs afterwards, you would use in Greek the word to Corinthianize. And that's the city the Apostle Paul came to. And yet, what I want you to know, the Apostle Paul, when he came, he was discouraged. He was weak. And he tells us in chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he talked to us that he had one message for the city of Corinth when he came. And you know what it was? It was the cross of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I came to you in weakness. I wasn't a very good preacher. He was sick physically. He was discouraged because he'd just been totally discouraged from the response in Athens. But when he came to Corinth, the Lord said to Paul, he gave him a vision at night while he was praying. He said, Paul, I've got many people in this city. In fact, Paul spent a year and a half in the city of Corinth, and he settled down. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians is telling us that as he went into the synagogues, as he went into the marketplaces, as he made connections with people, he had one message. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, to use John's words, that anyone that will believe in the crucified Savior, the one that hung on the cross, and I want you to realize in the ancient world, we wear crosses on our necklaces, but in the ancient world, it would be like wearing an electric chair on your necklace. Nobody would ever do that. In the ancient world, the cross stood for the most heinous, vindictive, angry kind of a death. It's the way that the Romans crucified slaves or murdered slaves that had rebelled against them. If you were a barbarian, a a non-Roman, and you'd attacked a Roman legion, and they caught you, they would put you on a cross, and they would let you suffocate on the cross. They would let you dehydrate and die because you didn't have enough water. And then they wouldn't take your body off the cross. They'd let you decay on that pole standing there. And that's what all over the ancient world, the Romans held power by scaring the you-know-what out of everybody that opposed them, and they did it with a cross. That's why the cross was weak. And that's what was so incredible, is that God in heaven sent his son, and his son was the perfect man, and the apostle Paul told people about how he did the signs and wonders, and how he healed deaf people, and how he gave sight to the blind. The apostle Paul told how Jesus, God's son, did all these incredible things, and then he'd tell this incredibly weird story about how he was rejected by the religious leaders, and how they nailed him to a cross, and how he died. And from a human standpoint, that was stupid. It was absolutely insane. How in the world could the almighty, all-powerful God ever give his one and only son and then let him die on this cursed Roman gibbet? And the Apostle Paul would say, but that was the place where Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians, became the Passover lamb. And you know what? The Apostle Paul, when he told people, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, When Paul preached that in Corinth, there were some prostitutes that were there. And they had lived immoral lives all their lives. They come down off the mountain. They had disease. They were sick. They were totally broken. They were totally empty women. But when the Apostle Paul gave that message, some of them believed. And they became pure and holy women that were totally forgiven by the power of the cross. There were men that from the time they were 
early adolescent boys had gone to idolatrous feasts, just like in American culture. They learned to drink. They learned to take drugs. They learned to get involved with immorality. It was part of their religion. But there were boys that were now young men in their 20s that heard the Apostle Paul say that God sent his son and his son had died for them and that he could make them clean. They could be forgiven. And while Paul was teaching, some of those men broke they would start to weep and they would cry and they would say, that's my life. And Romans chapter 1 that we learned about last week that says the wrath of God is being poured out against all this sin that destroys family and destroys physical life and destroys spiritual life and puts you in depression and destroys you. The Apostle Paul would tell them that Jesus Christ died so that that could be forgiven. And the power of the cross, the power of the incredible forgiveness that flows from the shed blood of Jesus caused people to be clean. And the church was born. And the Apostle Paul for 18 months labored in the church and the church started to grow. It started to multiply. Paul, because he was, an, he was a preacher that would go to another area to work and to found other churches, had to leave the church of Corinth. The, the great eloquent speaker, Apollos, came right after him, and God started to use Apollos, and the church of Corinth is growing. It's developing. If you've ever been in, in a church that's beginning to explode and, and the Holy Spirit's really working, if you ever experienced that, it's one of the most powerful things you can ever experience. But the Apostle Paul gets word. He gets word from a couple in the church. And they look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It tells us that there's a couple that write to Paul from Chloe's household. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11. It says, My brothers, and you sisters would be included, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Peter or Cephas. The Aramaic name for Peter and still others, the really spiritual ones, follow Christ. And what the Apostle Paul is going to deal with in chapter 1 through 4 of 1 Corinthians is the fact that the Corinthian church that's growing, that's been delivered by the power of the cross, is now starting to be fractured. It's starting to be disunified. It's starting to attack one another. It's starting to be torn apart by quarreling. Why? Because they've started to look to people. The first thing I want you to understand, I want you to think about in your life with Christ. If you're disunified, if you are disunified in your youth group, in your Sunday school class, if you're disunified in your family, if you're finding yourself fighting, if you find yourself quarreling, the Apostle Paul has a message for you in 1 Corinthians. And this week you can read chapters 1 through 4 and you'll learn how the power of the cross can set you free to get along with people. Now listen to me. Some of you never get along with people. Some of you never get connected with a group. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in your marriage, as soon as you find out that you're married to a bum... As soon as you wake up from the honeymoon and find out that you married a frog. As soon as you, get, you wake up from this incredible dream of who you thought you married. The woman that you thought was so beautiful and so kind. She's constantly teaching you how to drive and to control the way you drive. And you can't stand it. And you get angry. That's when your marriage is getting ready to begin. That's when your marriage is getting ready to begin. One of the things I want all of you to learn, the, as American believers, you think you go to Disneyland, but you've not come to Disneyland, you've come to church. And church is real. 
Marriages are real. Families are real. Youth groups are real. And what the Apostle Paul is telling us, I just love it. He says if you're going to follow the cross, that you're going to be involved in groups where people fight. And what you're going to have to decide is whether I'm going to conquer my anger, whether I'm going to conquer my quarreling, and I'm going to share with you why you fight and quarrel. It's because you haven't been broken at the cross. You see, at the cross, you die. And that's what I don't want to do. I don't want to die. You see, in my marriage, for example, when Mary doesn't do what I want her to do, I want to focus on Mary, and I want to, I've got every argument in the world. I mean, I got a PhD in arguing. And I can be like a lawyer that just analyzes every part of that. And I am exactly right. I am sure that I'm right. As long as I do that, I don't know anything about the power of the cross. Because on the cross, you die. On the cross, you die. See, all of you want to live. Every one of you want to live. Every one of you in this room want to get your own way. You want life to work out the way you want it to work out. You want your marriage to be what you want it to be. You want your family life to be what you want it to be. You want your, your church to be what you want it to be. And I got news for you, it never is. And as long as you're setting the agenda, you're going to be quarreling. You're going to be fighting. You're going to be hurt. And you're going to go from one marriage or one family, one church, one youth group, one Sunday school class, whatever you're involved in. You'll just keep moving. Because as soon as there's fighting, as soon as someone disagrees with you, you're going to be gone. And Paul says, I determine to know nothing among you except the cross. You see, you know what our unifying factor is? You know why Mary and I stay married? Because David Wurtson is a dirty, rotten sinner that has the potential in his heart to do all the scumbag things I talked to you about last week in the book of Romans. And so is Mary Wurtz. And we've come to the cross as dirty, rotten sinners, and we let Jesus forgive us. And that's what I pray for every one of you. Some of you commit adultery. And as a husband or as a wife, you find out that. And you say, I'm out of here going to destroy this marriage your partner says oh please forgive me please forgive me what are you going to do the apostle paul says i preach to you nothing but the cross you know what the cross says it's going to take time the cross doesn't mean that you're not going to have to struggle but i want you to think really hard this is what this is an amazing thing the cross has said and what an incredible thing it is to share this with you all and to share with you all during the week that i can say to a wife who's found out that her husband has been immoral. And he's come to her and says, I'm sorry for what I did. And I can ask her, Jesus poured out his blood because your purity and your desire for a faithful husband is so precious that your husband should burn in hell forever and ever and ever because of what he did to you. But Jesus loves him, and he loves you so much that he doesn't want your husband to burn in hell. And that's why Jesus shed his blood for you. And it's why your husband needs to come to that zero point where he asks Jesus to forgive him based upon the blood of Calvary. And when a husband and a wife can come 
to the cross, they can find the gift of love again, the gift of forgiveness. That's what the Apostle Paul believed. And it wasn't just pretend, and it wasn't just a symbol that he hung around his neck. It was life. It was eternity. What I just told you means that there's not one of you in this room, I don't care what you've done, I don't care what your past has been, what your present is, Jesus has done it in the cross, and the Apostle Paul never got over it. He proclaimed, not with such power and eloquence, but often through brokenness and sickness, but he proclaimed this incredible message Jesus died on the cross, and therefore God can reconcile us, and he can help us to be unified. And a group of people that are totally centered in Jesus and the cross, and then the power of his resurrection, they're a group that can go through storms, they can go through war, they can go through conflict, they can beat their anger, they can hang together, and they can go all the way into eternity together. And brothers and sisters, that's what I long for your marriages. That's what I long for this church family. I want you to learn that the cross is our unifying factor. The cross is what hangs us together. The cross is what glues us together. The cross is why I can't leave Mary ever. The cross is why that I'm going to be your brother forever. And that's what you need to understand. And oh, I want to pray that the Lord's going to help me to be broken. The cross is the unifying. There's a unifying power in the cross. That's chapter 1 through 4. Chapter 5, all the way through 11, is that there's a purifying power in the cross. One of the great struggles in the Word of God in the, in the church of Jesus today is that the church of Jesus is kind of, I would call it, the mafia gangsters that come to Jesus. And the idea is, like, I was raised in New York when the mafia totally controlled Little Italy. It's like I go to Little Italy and I'm eating a great spaghetti dinner, probably more than that, steak and everything else, if I'm in a really good Italian restaurant. And a mafia don comes up to me and, and I say, you know, share with me a little bit about your life. He says, David, I'm going to tell you how I came to Jesus. Like in college, one of my buddies, his daddy was the driver for one of the major gangsters in the United States. True story, no evangelistically speaking. And it's like my friend's daddy that drove in bank robberies and carried the mob, you know, was like, like a, a general's aide to the mob bosses. It's like my friend says, Dad, Dave, I want you to know my daddy came to Jesus. And now he's a bank robber for Jesus. And now he carries out hits for Jesus. That's where the American church is. You say, Dave, what are you, what are you saying that for? In the book of Corinthians, chapter 5, there was a guy that his dad had married a woman that wasn't his mom. Evidently, his mom had died, and his dad had married his stepmom. And his son, this guy in the church of Corinth, fell in love with his stepmother. And everybody knows, because the Corinthians are just like Americans, if you're passionately in love with somebody, if you're fervently, you know, just connected with this person, then of course God wants you to do it. Now listen to this. This is the way they reason. The stepmom and this, her stepson said, we both now come to Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means I was never married to your dad. And that means we don't have a past. And so the church celebrated when they gathered together, probably on a Sunday night, they would celebrate, look at this stepson living with his mom. Praise God, they become new creatures in Christ. That's what some of you do. 
And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, absolutely no way. Even unbelievers know that incest is evil. And the Apostle Paul reminded that great Corinthian church that your new life in Christ doesn't set you free to shatter the law, the moral law of God, the kind of evil, the kind of destructive behavior that put Christ on the cross, the kind of destructive behavior that destroys your health, it destroys your emotions, it destroys your family, it destroys your connection with people. That kind of immorality just destroys families like, like, just like putting nitroglycerin exploding in this family. The Apostle Paul says, when you gather together on a Sunday morning and the Spirit of God is upon you, throw that man out of your midst. He hasn't responded. He hasn't repented. Brothers and sisters, don't don't fool around with the power of a God that loved you so much he gave your son to die for you. There is purifying power in the cross. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, he shares that this man that's living in blatant immorality cannot be accepted in the body of Christ and he needs to be put outside so that Satan can deal with him. Praise God in 2 Corinthians, it's very possible that that man repented and Paul was able to tell the Corinthian church to bring him back in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul starts to share with the Corinthians about their involvement with those prostitutes, that free living, kind of like the single scene in Dallas. And the Apostle Paul says, have you forgotten when you came to the cross and you received the new life of the resurrection, you became a new person and Jesus lives right inside of you. Don't you know when you join your body with someone that you're not married to, if you join your body with someone that you haven't made a covenant with under God, that you're joined Christ with this cesspool. Don't do it. He says, what? Don't you know that your body is the dwelling place, the temple of God? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he changes gears a little bit because this weird thing is happening in the church. Some of them are saying, my body doesn't count for anything because I'm a new creature in Christ, so they use it immorally. Some of them say, well, things are so bad, maybe some of you are taking this approach. And you're saying, man, sex has become so evil, it's so destructive, and it's hurting so many people that in my marriage, I'm not going to have sexual relationships. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul says, oh, no, don't do that. He says marriage is a holy place, it's a good place, it's a gift from God, and enjoy your sexuality. By the way, he also talks to you singles, and he says that you're a special people, that you have a place in Jesus' family, and that sex isn't the ultimate God, but you can find life in Jesus' name, and you can find holiness in Jesus' name. The Apostle Paul closes this section about the purifying power of the cross, and he shares about this incredible incredible communion we have as we fellowship and share the Lord's Supper. And he calls the Corinthian church to gather together and they were having fights and quarrels and they were being selfish and he calls them to come to the cross. All of 1 and 2 Corinthians is about the outflow of a theology of the cross or to connect your life with Jesus based upon the cross. He closes the book with a great discussion about all the giftedness that you all have and all the beautiful ways that God's Holy Spirit has given you power to to serve Jesus. And he had that great chapter in resurrection. As you move to 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul has had to send a very angry letter because the Corinthians are not only making all these errors that I've talked about today, but the Corinthians started saying, Paul, you're not going to be our teacher anymore. 
We found a much more eloquent preacher. We like some new guys, men and women that have come to town, and they're presenting a much more powerful, eloquent message. And they're telling us that the kingdom has already come, and we're rejoicing in that. We're living in the kingdom. We don't have to suffer. And the fact that you're always persecuted for what you believe means that you're not a true apostle. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians says, if you follow the way of the cross, real apostles, real authentic spiritual teachers suffer for Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I've spent my life since the time I was a little boy trying to fall in love with Jesus through the Apostle Paul. Paul is my, like Jesus is God's son, and he's the one that you adore, but the Apostle Paul walks so close with his Savior that my, from the time I was a little kid, I said, I want to be like this man. This incredible hero that was stoned one day. It says like in Lystra, he lost his life and he was probably even taken up into heaven and God wouldn't let him share with us what he saw. And then he comes back. This man had incredible spiritual experiences, but he says, I count them nothing. I just want to present to you the weakness of the cross. And he closes the book of 2 Corinthians by talking to us about something really practical. You see, he was collecting an offering for a bunch of Jerusalem believers. The Jerusalem believers were suffering in poverty. There was persecution against the Jerusalem church. The Romans and the Jewish hierarchy were pouring out great venom against it. And also there was a great divide in the early church between Gentiles culturally and Jews culturally. In Corinth, it was a very prosperous city. In Jerusalem, the Hebrew-speaking Jews that had believed in the Messiah, Jesus, were beginning to be rejected. And the Apostle Paul spent the last part of his ministry raising money to be able to help those believers in Jerusalem so there would be great unity. And he closed 2 Corinthians by talking the Corinthians about money. Now, brothers and sisters, as a pastor teacher, I speak to you a lot about prayer, and I speak to you a lot about soul winning. And one of the things that I want to be really careful of, like if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to know from my body and my heart, if you haven't received Jesus in your life and you don't know the power of the cross, I want you to know that you're in a church family. We don't want you to give anything. But many of you have really come to Jesus As we close today, what I want you to understand, the Apostle Paul challenges the Corinthians about their giving. He tells them simple things like, every single week you should lay up what you're going to give to the Lord. He tells them that if you sow sparingly like a farmer, you're going to reap sparingly, and he challenges them to give graciously and abundantly. When I was a a kid, Mary and I were just, I really not, I, I was probably 20. I was going to Houghton College, and I needed money for my next semester at school. And I went down to Corning, New York, and I had like $400 worth of books that I could sell. I sold them just like that. I, I got an undertaker friend of mine to give me 55 names. I reamed through about 20 names, and I came home, and I had all the money. And the first day, I got about half the money, and the second day, I got the rest of the money. When I came home after the first day of selling for the Southwestern Company, you've all met those guys, my friend L. Carpenter said, Dave, have you given to the Lord right off the top what you need to give to him? Have you honored him? And that hit me like a ton of breaks. I'm thinking, I'm a college student. You know, I don't need to do this. In fact, I'm going to be a, pre, I'm going to be a medical missionary for Jesus. And this is for school, and I just got married, and my parents aren't helping me anymore, so I don't have any money I can give. It all has to go to school. 
But Al looked at me and said, Dave, who do you trust in? Who do you depend upon for your resources? And so I took more than 10% because he said, you need to start with a little bit more so that you don't just get in the rut. But I would challenge all of you, do you honor the Lord with your giving? The Lord led me to do that right in the early days of our marriage. Mary worked for a plastic surgeon. Mary worked for a plastic surgeon when we moved out here in Midlothian. And when, she, when we moved here, the church said, we will give you, a gar- we'll give you the produce of our garden, but we can't promise you much else. And Mary and I said, that's all right. And I was teaching guitar, and Mary was, a pla- was working for this plastic surgeon. The church began to support us graciously and kindly. Mary got a retirement, and Mary came to me one day, and she said, Dave, I want to use some of this money. And it was a lot of money for us, a Dallas Seminary couple. And Mary said, I just want to give this. And she anonymously gave it to a guy that was about two years ahead of us. And he never knew where that money came from, but it paid for his whole semester at Dallas Seminary. Was that worth it? That man went on and got his Ph.D., He went on and became a professor, and he's a professor right this morning. And he's a guy that I saw born again as one of those kids that would never come to Jesus from from a place in Connecticut that looked like a slum ghetto area. And that man has spent his whole life serving the Lord. Was that a great honoring to the Lord? Yeah, it really was. You know what a steward in the ancient world was? A steward in the ancient world... You had a wealthy Roman, and they would take a slave, and they would make that slave that was gifted a steward, like Joseph was the steward in Potiphar's house way back in the Old Testament. Every one of you, the Lord wants you to be considered, I'm a slave, and I'm a slave for Jesus, and everything I've got, my body, my talents, including my gifts and my money, totally belongs to Jesus. And I honor him with that. I want the Lord Jesus to help you to learn what a joy it is to go the way of the cross and to sacrifice for him. What I found in my own life is, brothers and sisters, it's really hard to sacrifice for Jesus. Because a few weeks ago, I stood up and I was sharing, like, you know, Mary and I, three years ago, decided we're going to just give to the campaign that we did three years ago, and we just kept right on giving to that. And my truck had 297,500 miles on it. It's an S10, and I love my truck. And I decided, Lord, I want to see you work a miracle. Just keep the truck going for another three or four years during this camp, Capital Fund campaign. And that way, I don't have to get a new truck, and we can just keep right on giving and keep, you know, sacrificing like that. So I want to share with you, when I challenge you, for all of our lives— We're growing. We give to missions. When I challenge you to give to missions, like my nephew right now wants to go to Indonesia, Mary and I are burdened about giving to him. My wife is totally connected with me about that, challenging me to give. And what I want to challenge you is some of you are never going to get your finances right because you don't honor the Lord. You're never going to get it right till you stop bargaining with him and just commit it to him. And then you're going to find out that you've got an incredible daddy. And what Mary and I have found, to be honest with you, it's really, really hard to sacrifice for him. I thought it was a big sacrifice when we moved here and thought we were going to eat tomatoes the rest of our life. We haven't. 
I thought we'd live in a little small room in Overlook. And a man in our church came and said, I'll help you build a house. So I had the great joy of building my house with my own hands, with a dear friend, several dear friends that showed me how to do it and did it with me. And those guys are closer than my own brothers now. We left New York and came to Texas. When I moved here, they said, if you love New York, go and eat the Big Apple, go home. And the Lord said, if you leave your father and your mother and your brothers and sisters, I'll give you in this life many moms and dads, many brothers and sisters. And I want to share with you, he has. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. You're my brothers. You're my daddies and mommies. You raised our kids beautifully for Jesus. You did a miracle. Most pastors' kids hate Jesus because the church that was supposed to reflect him didn't reflect him. You reflected him, and every one of our kids and their wives love Jesus. That's a miracle that the Lord did through you. So Mary and I decided, really I decided, not going to get a new truck, just going to do that. On Sunday night, the Lord decided, I don't want you to drive that truck anymore. And he gave us a brand new Toyota Tundra. Just out of the blue. A total gift of grace. And to be honest with you, I like suffering in a lot of ways. I can handle that better than just sheer, unadulterated, joyous blessing. Like, it's easy for me to say, okay, Lord, we'll struggle through with our family, with Joel and Courtney, with the news about Rhett, and that's tough. And I'll struggle through losing Hans. But you know, that's not all our daddy in heaven does. He doesn't just help us through the hard times. And I don't want any one of you to miss out on the fact that you've got an incredible daddy. And my prayers over the next several weeks, you're going to get really serious about what it means to let the Lord have your entire body and give sacrificially and graciously open your heart. And I believe if you do so, you're going to find out that your heavenly daddy, it's awfully hard to outgive the gracious almighty God that gave us his precious son that he would die for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I'd ask you, Lord, that anyone here that hasn't experienced the power of that rugged cross initially in their life, help them to discover it. I'd ask you, Lord, for anyone here that's been living impurely to experience the purifying power of the cross. I'd ask you, Lord, for anyone here that feels hopeless and dead and devoid of any life, empty. I pray that they'll experience the life-giving power of your cross. You became poor so that we could become rich. I pray that each one in our church family would learn what it means to sacrifice so that people that have never heard the gospel will be able to hear the gospel. We pray that we wouldn't just give our money, but I pray that many in our church family would join us in giving our kids to serve overseas. I ask you in closing, Lord, to help my brothers and sisters to leave this room and help them to believe in the power of the cross. Help them to go into their high school rooms at lunch and share with their friends about the powerful forgiveness that come through the cross. Help them to make authentic relationships with all different kinds of kids at school. 
I pray that our college kids would continue to reach out on all the university campuses. And I pray, Lord, as adults, that I'm really concerned that we're becoming lethargic. We're comfortable. And I ask you that this week that you would help us to get really burdened and serious and to open our mouths and share like Paul did, not relying upon our own strength, but relying upon your weakness and to realize that when we present this incredible story of the cross and the power of Jesus' resurrection, that incredible things will happen. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that we'll realize most of all what's the greatest of these. Now abideth faith, our faith in Jesus, the fact that we haven't seen him and yet we trust him, our hope looking forward to Jesus coming back, but one day we'll see Jesus face to face so we won't need to have faith anymore. We won't need to have hope anymore because our hope will become reality. But I thank you that forever and ever that 1 Corinthians 13 gift of love, the kindness, the patience, the forgiveness is going to last forever and ever, the self-sacrificing glory that we give to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, make Midlothian Bible Church totally centered on the power of the weakness of the cross and yet the incredible power that the greatest of these is the love that was poured out through that cross. Lord, heal marriages through what I've said today. Heal lives today. Help those that are hopeless to find hope. I'd ask you, Lord, that those that need to be renewed because they've run out of spiritual gas, Lord, your Holy Spirit, through the weakness of what's happened in the last few minutes, can fill them again. I pray that Melothian Bible Church, each one of us, would be filled with your glorious Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.